We are going through deep weeds, folks, and it doesn't look like it's gonna get better soon. But there's one important factor that will make a huge difference in how well you are dealing with everything going on around us. Hey friends, I'm Mark Alanchelski, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 34, the five stages of pandemic grief. Now, in the last episode, I got to introduce you to one of my favorite people, Byron Kaler. Now, Byron's a trauma therapist, and he shared with us how our own story and trauma background is shaping how we experience this strange moment of pandemic and protests. He gave really clear understanding of why so many of us are having really deep, gut-level emotional reactions to what we're seeing. It was really good and helpful. If you missed it, I recommend going back and listening to episode 33. Now today, we're going to continue the conversation that we had with Byron, and we're going to home in on one particular emotion that most of us are feeling right now, even if you don't realize you are. But before we start, I want to mention again two resources that I want you to have. We are all dealing with big complicated emotions, and sometimes we need help sorting them out. The first resource is the Untangled Workbook. This is a guided journal that will teach you a simple process for sitting with your emotions and learning from them. If you're a hands-on learner or a self-starter, this will really work well for you. In just 30 pages, you'll learn the basics of how emotions work in our brains and our bodies, just enough information for you to understand what's going on. And then the rest of the book is a template that will walk you through the process of noticing, identifying, and understanding your emotional responses. Now, if you're feeling swamped or overwhelmed, or you're finding yourself having anger or sadness that feels outsized for what's objectively happening, this tool can help. Learn more about it at the link on screen or in the show notes, The Untangled Workbook. Now, the second resource is something Byron and I made together. I'm really proud of it. The Untangled Heart Workshop. This is an online course that covers the same ground as the Untangled Workbook, but expands it and goes in deep. And you can do it at home while you're quarantined. The course includes over five hours of video teaching from both Byron and myself, journal questions to guide you through the process, and a 23-page downloadable note packet. You can do the whole thing at your own pace. You can do it at home. And it will help you sort out why you are feeling all the things you're feeling in this strange time, and even more importantly, what you can do with all that emotional energy. Learn more about that at the link on screen or in the show notes, the Untangled Course Online. Now, last week I introduced you to Byron. Byron's a trauma therapist here in Portland, Oregon, with nearly 40 years of experience. When he's not sitting with individual therapy clients, he's training and mentoring new therapists. Well, today Byron and I are going to continue our conversation by talking about a big emotion that is just running roughshod over so many of us right now in our response to everything going on around us. So let's get started. Well, Byron, I am so glad to have you back again for the next part of our conversation. But today we're going to focus in on one particular emotional response, one way that we're responding to the circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, aside from the fact that it's reactivating our stories, which we talked about last time, I think the second thing that's happening, Mark, to all of us right now is that we are all grieving in this season. The experience of trauma 
takes things away from us that we value, whether that's our freedom, our choice, our safety, our comfort, our opportunities. As a country and as individuals, we're all grieving. And if we can understand that is a filter that we're all operating, if we can use that as a lens to look through, the, to view the people's responses around us, that gives us, I think, greater understanding. Okay. Hold on a second, though, because I, I want to. I hear someone's going to hear this and go, "Wait, I'm not, I'm not sitting around crying about COVID nineteen." That person's going to say, "What are you talking about? How are we all grieving?" So, so talk to me about that. Well, I think the question that I would ask that hypothetical person is, um, "Have you lost anything?" And if the answer to that question is yes, whether that's you lost the opportunity to go to your favorite restaurant or you lost your um, parents. It's still a loss. And our response universally to loss is to have the emotional experience of grief. Right. Now, how connected we are to that experience, I think has lots to do again with our stories. When you understand that we're all grieving, we're able to engage people with a greater sensitivity and compassion. And that allows us to see what's happening around us in a different light. One of the things that I would want people listening to hear is we're all grieving, you're grieving. If we can acknowledge that, recognize it, then we're going to um, navigate through this in a much healthier manner. Okay, so the events that we find ourselves in are creating loss for us. And that that runs the whole scale from basically inconveniences I can't go yeah. to my nail salon. I can't go to the gym. I, I, we didn't get to go on our trip to California that we were excited to take to larger uh, losses like my kid who graduated from eighth grade didn't get to have a normal graduation ceremony to larger losses like the company I worked for shut down and I lost my job up to larger consequences like people have been sick in the hospital for weeks. We've had some people die. And of course, there's an additional layer now since the since the pandemic began of losses associated uh, around the issues of our racial relationships in this country, right, that have been triggered, uh, that's being brought up with the murder of George Floyd and the protests and people saying like this, uh, people of color saying this has been happening to us over and over and over again. We've experienced these losses so many times. Uh, and so all of this, there's all this whole range of loss. The natural emotional response to loss is grief. That's the emotional feeling. I'm a pastor. You're a therapist. We both know that people that we deal with in general in this culture are terrible at handling grief. So if those things are true, on the one hand, we're all grieving. And on the other hand, we're terrible at dealing with grief. What, what does that mean for us right now? It means that we're seeing the mess that we are. But let's begin that conversation with this. Our stories have a profound influence on how we process grief. That is, we all have losses or disappointments when we're growing up. Small right. or large, we all experience that. Um, we find a way to address them. We learn to grieve in our childhood from our families, and from those around us. And then those lessons are often translated into our adulthood life, affecting how we grieve as adults. So like, 
people saying, well, I didn't grieve, or I'm not grieving now. Well, that would tell me something about what they experienced grief like in a childhood. <laughs> that mm, is, right. they learned to shut that down, push it away, not have that experience. And they probably learned that from big people at a funeral who refused to cry because big boys don't cry or however those lessons were taught. If grieving was modeled in a healthy form, then they may have learned to cry without embarrassment or shame to acknowledge the loss. If, however, they grew up in a home where it wasn't dealt with in a healthy way, then we learn to deny the loss, discount the right. significance, be angry and strike out at those people around us, blame other people. And we're seeing those things right now in our culture. Those lessons that we learn then create challenges us for us as adults when once again we are faced with disappointments or even further trauma such as the pandemic. I have a friend who says, those who grieve well, live well. And what mm. they mean is that when we're willing to learn how to grieve well, we're not as frightened by life because it's like, I know how to do this. I can, you know, whether it's the loss of grandpa or now the pandemic, we know how to grieve. But like you say, lots of us are really poorly equipped on how to go about grieving. So let's talk about the normal process of grief. What does that look like in a healthy situation? Uh, and then we can talk about how are the ways that it's being impaired right now and what can we do about that? So we're influenced individually by the homes that we grow up in, in terms of how we process grief. If they do it poorly, we're ill-equipped. Then like you point out, as a culture, so the second layer of that, as a culture, we just don't like to lose things. Like Western culture, it's like right. you can't take, that's part of our DNA. You work hard, you you know get the American dream, and nobody is going to take that away from me. And that's problematic because grief is part of every life. Like right. we're always constantly losing things or being disappointed. And so I think what, what our current circumstance is doing is that it's highlighting just what you were referring to, and that is, yeah, we don't do this well. And then when you add the pandemic to it and the quarantine, we are stuck grieving oftentimes alone. Hmm. Think, think about the Wailing Wall. Think about um, a bunch of Italians getting together and grieving at a funeral. Not only do we not have good shared practices for grieving as a culture, mm -hmm. but on top of that, the current circumstances are isolating us. So we exactly. wouldn't even be able to do whatever it would be that we would do. Like if we would go over to our mom's house and cry on the couch, we can't do that now. And so here we are by ourselves separated and we're feeling these losses. What do we do? There's another therapeutic dynamic that's playing out, I think, in an attempt to avoid grief. Okay. Carl Jung, who was a student of Freud's long ago, um, talked about that most mental illness is the result of the avoidance of legitimate suffering. Yes. Like, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer. And so I'm going to engage in all sorts of bizarre activity to, to try to escape that. And so I think for us to just to, to recognize, yep, this is inescapable. It's time to grieve. But here's one of the other ways that we do that. And you can watch this on every news report. 
a statement that I make frequently is the why is often an avoidance of the what. And what I mean by that is when something tragic happens to us, our first place to go is intellectual. It's academic. It's like, I want to understand. And it could be Hurricane Katrina. You know, it could be a tornado. It could be a pandemic or it could be a personal assault. But we tend to all go to this place of why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. And the advantage of the why did this happen is that it allows us to stay in our heads. Okay. Rather than our hearts. And so the why is an intellectual exercise the what is an emotional one like this is what happened and so the application of that principle in this circumstance is lots and lots of spinning around where did the virus come from how how did you know how did this happen to us is it a a plant from the chinese is it poor preparation here those are all the whys Mm -hmm. and those are important on one level but for us, you and I, individually, bottom line is we're here. You and I, I still have to stay in our house. That's right. the what. Right. And so right. for people to be reminded, I think, that, yep, set aside right now the why. Don't, don't get too distracted by keeping it intellectual. Allow yourself the emotional experience of regardless of the why, this is really sad. That's where I think the grief process kind of begins. Okay. Is a recognition that um, here is where we are. For better or for worse, here is where we are. So so for people to uh, engage and and attend to their grief in a healthy way, we need to honestly sort of inventory and name the losses and say, this is true. It's a, it, it's sad. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. It causes me to feel all of the, the feelings that are a part of sadness. Like I'm having that happen. So just, just even naming that and acknowledging that you saying that's a part of this process for us. Absolutely. Yes. And I think a recognition that none of us are at our best when we're grieving. Right. Like, by very definition, and so again, when you look look around the world, I'm, I'm asking people to, to not only look at their experience, but with compassion and sensitivity to look at the experiences of those people around them. Mm-hmm. And so we need to process our own grief, and at the same time, recognize that grief throws us off balance. We learned different lessons about grief, from the homes that we grew up in, and that's playing out in the grocery store, on the evening news, in the protests. Yes. Like, these are grief expressions, and we may disagree about the health of those, but at least it helps me understand that those people are hurting and, and doing maybe it all they know to do with the grief that they hold. Make yeah, that makes, yeah. Good, that makes good sense. It seems like part of the struggle then, though, is because we're so bad at dealing with grief, because we don't like, I mean, as a culture, we pretty well do everything we can to avoid any uncomfortable emotions. If that's the case, how do we know that, that grief is showing up in us? Like, let's talk a little bit about the fact that grief isn't just sitting on the couch crying. 
most people are probably familiar with uh, Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross' work around the five stages of grief. Um, she talked about the fact that uh, we move through grief in kind of um, some predictable elements uh, tend to be present to do that. I think the first thing that I would want people to hear is there's no correct way to grieve. So it's not like, yep, this is the way that I ought to be doing it. People often think that the stages kind of last for a week or a month and then you move to the next one and that they're linear and that's not true. Think of it more as um, ingredients of a stew rather than a than a linear line, okay, where it's okay. like, okay, these are the ingredients that are that make up the grief experience. Those stages, if you will, or ingredients that she talked about were denial. So immediately you'd have to think, okay, have I seen any denial in our culture? <laughs> right, about, yes. <laughs> about the, the, the virus and the, the pandemic. So let's just be real clear there. Denial is going to be things like, this isn't really happening. Uh, it's not really as bad as they're saying. Um, yep, just, the, like the there's there's some there's something else going on here. There's a reason why the government wants us to not go to work. Like all these stories that are up here happening in the top of our brain, that that's that's a way that we're avoiding sinking down into the feeling of loss. Oh, yep. Yeah, so denial is there. Um, second or second ingredient, if you will, is anger. So again, you'd have to ask yourself, hmm, is there any anger currently in the culture? Yeah, and right. if so, how is that playing out? Think of anger in a variety of forms, okay? That can look like irritability when you're at home, mm -hmm. you know, tension between you and your spouse, uh, shortness of patience. Those are all kind of experiences that people are having. Now you amp that up and you have a policeman with a knee on someone's neck where there's anger that is now being generated culturally that we don't know what to do with. And I'm not excusing at all what happened or dismissing the fact that this has been a long-standing problem. And we haven't seen protests and looting and the anger like we are now since probably Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, in L.A. And so something has created an opportunity for it to bubble to the surface. And I think that one of the contributors to that is we are living in a season of corporate grief that isn't being processed or resolved very well. And so you're saying then that there's almost like a stacking effect that, you know, some people, the losses that they're experiencing right now, like we talked about earlier, have to do with the loss of job or loss of the ability to go out to your favorite restaurants. The community that you just talked about has a deep, deep stack of losses that has to do with, you know, all of the racial inequity and racial injustice and the many names that we could name of people who have been injured by the police. And those things keep stacking up. And you add to that then that people have been confined to their houses for three months and and more people are out of work than have been out of work since the Great Depression. You stack all of that up and it's maybe not causal. Like these things didn't make that police officer behave that way. But 
all those things stacking up make it so that this type of thing is more likely. It is almost inevitable because the, the, the failure to deal with our grief and process our grief and resolve it, the failure to deal with anger, the failure to deal with injustice, all these things are stacking up and people's margin for emotionally handling that stuff is thinner and thinner and thinner. And the fruit of that then is this overwhelming kind of boiling over of emotional response. Yes. The homes right now that have ministries for spouses who are victims of domestic violence, those houses, as of last week, don't have a single bed available. They are full and they're getting more and more referrals every week. Well, why? Well, we know that domestic violence happens all the time, but it goes up. The reports of that and the severity of that are amplified during times like these. That's connected then to this stage that you mentioned of of the anger response. Uh, Yeah, I think that that's a contributor, is that when you think in terms of, oh my goodness, the whole world is grieving, and that holds the potential to bring out some really unhealthy and dysfunctional expressions of unresolved grief. And those can look like violence, the abuse. You know, it is anger gone bad, mm-hmm. where it's it's playing out in really um, tragic kinds of ways. You don't have to look far to see the denial. You don't have to look far to see the anger. The third ingredient that um, Kubaros talks about is bargaining. What are protests about? Like protests. Kind Kind of by definition are you're calling for change and so and right now i'm referencing the protests around opening states up okay, okay? quit shutting down by business that's all a form of bargaining like uh-huh. can't if we wear masks can people still come in and sit in my restaurant if you know the, that's all bargaining we're engaged in a process like that and then i think depression especially in the last couple of weeks I hear more and more people talk about, I just feel like I can't keep doing this. The depression kind of sinks in. And then finally, the last ingredient is acceptance, which is going to be for all of us, this sense of, okay, this is going to be the new normal, whether that's masks in public or social distancing or some of those kinds of things. So this stew of grief that's made up of these different ingredients Uh, That happens, those ingredients happen at some level for all of us. Probably the intensity of the ingredients or which uh, proportion of ingredients we get has to do with our story. Yes. So if I grew up in a household where anger was kind of the way we processed emotions, um, then I'm either going to be either more like that or I may have grown up reactive to that and I don't do anger at all. And so then my experience of processing the grief is going to be shaped in that way. Is that what you're talking about? Yep, that we're going to respond. And and you're pointing out that when we're exposed to trauma, we either react or we reenact what we're exposed to. And so for one person, it might be, yep, I grew up in a home of, you know, anger and domestic violence. And now that's leaking out in how I behave Mm -hmm. all the way to the other extent where it's like, oh, just watching the protests on TV, 
just undoes me because right. it's so it stressful, feels so overwhelming, so scary. Right. Okay. So you've named these stages um, that are part of our grief process. You've identified that we've all experienced losses, which means we're all experiencing grief at some point, even if we aren't consciously aware of it. What happens if we don't face it and name it? What What's the consequence of not being conscious of the fact that we're grieving right now? The result of that is unfortunately what we are seeing. Like the past grief that was unprocessed, unresolved, contaminates the current circumstance. This is no fun for anybody. The, the quarantine, the pandemic, um, or at least not for most people. But I think what's different between a couple of people will be if, this, if the person on my left has lots of grief unresolved from a childhood unprocessed, that contaminates this present circumstance with those additional feelings, then their experience going through this is going to be very different. It's gonna right. be amplified and exaggerated. There's always benefit in us doing our grieving in the moment, being present in it, uh, doing it in real time. If not, we simply shelve it and it comes back and haunts us when it's most inconvenient. Right, right. Yeah. It does not go away until it's processed. And so then yeah. we end up with these outsized, inappropriate emotional responses. I've talked about that as as asking myself this question, am I spending $1,000 of emotional energy on a $5 emotional problem, right? When I have that kind of response, that always means something in my story, something on the shelf, as you say, is sort of falling down on top of me. And if, if we're not conscious of that, then that's how we are gonna, we're gonna live in that unconscious reactive state. And that's happening right now in response to all these losses that we're feeling. Yes, I think that oftentimes um, what people describe as depression in the here and now, like I'm just feeling depressed, that, that one of the contributors to that can certainly be unresolved, unprocessed grief from their mm -hmm. past. It's important and significant for us as best we can to lean into the grief experience, to hold it, to embrace it. Generally what that looks like is, I believe how we're designed is that people cry, they feel sad, they wail, we have lots of pictures of grief in um, biblical stories. Um, we don't kind of tear our clothes and sit in sackcloth and ashes, but that's, that's a grief response that acknowledges and recognizes this is a mess. Right. This is something has been torn away from me. It's out of my yeah. control. I'm yearning for it and I can't get it back. That feeling we have to we have to be with that. We have to honor that. We have to recognize that in us. If we don't, it's going to boil over in all of these other ways. Yep. And Mark, with one another in the faith community, again, we haven't done a good job with grief as well. And so for us to sit with our friends and simply be present in their pain is one of the greatest gifts that we can give. Not advice. You know, mm. oh, it's going to get yeah. better. You'll get your business back. You know, they probably won't take your home. 
but for us to simply be able to sit with people and say, yep, it's scary. One of the concerns that we both have is that when people are experiencing overwhelming negative emotions, particularly grief, and they don't know what to do with it, there's a real risk for us to drop into coping tools that we've used in our life that are not helpful, that will make things worse. And I think you're seeing that in your practice. I'm seeing that in my conversations with people. Let's talk about that just briefly. Um, What are the coping risks that we're facing right now? Well, alcohol sales are up 55% nationwide. Wow. (laughs) And so that gives you an idea of what people generally turn towards, okay, to help mitigate some of that um, discomfort and that pain. And so um, it's not just toilet paper and hand sanitizer (laughs) that's flying off the shelves of the grocery stores. Any of those things that we have used as coping mechanisms to stay away from our pain get easily reemployed so that we don't have to grieve. And that can be addictions of any sort that get that flame on, that get, you know, activated, that we uh-huh. turn towards. Any other forms of avoidance, distraction, um, you know, in the past a lot of those things were available to people, sports and this and that, to keep them busy and their minds occupied. But that's been taken away, which even adds, I think, to um, the reality of people being stuck in the sadness. Would you say that the loss of the routine makes that worse? Certainly the loss of the routine, but the loss of traditional distractions. Uh Uh-huh whether that's the Mariners game or whether you know that's the Blazers or whether that's soccer or whether that's whatever, is um, finding ways to kind of fill my margins and my space so that, that I don't have to be alone with me. Okay. I think part of what's intolerable, Mark, about this quarantine experience is that people are stuck with themselves. That, <laughs> right. That, that, that they're having to sit in their own skin without some of the things that they have used to cope um, previously. I would argue as a therapist and probably a pastor that that's, that's actually a good experience in that it invites us to exploring our internal world more. Mm-hmm. Right. If we're in a place where we can do that internal work, then it, then this is a great opportunity. But if we're not attending to it, then we're likely to fall into negative coping mechanisms uh, and we don't even have the structure to help. Like you talked about alcohol sales going through the roof, you know. Six months ago, if I was a person who used alcohol to avoid my feelings, I could go out on Friday night and Saturday night, party, get wasted, but I still have to be at work on Monday at eight o'clock. And so there's a structure in place that is kind of keeping me on the track. But now I can't go to work. I I don't even have to put on pants, you know, to have a, a video conference. And so it's possible for certain people then to maybe fall into these coping mechanisms in a way that's even more destructive because the structure that they've had before in their life that was helping them maybe isn't available to them in the same way. The guardrails that kept them on guardrails. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have been torn down and uh, people are off roading. 
people are off-roading. Okay, and we want to be able to do that safely. Off-roading can be a lot of fun if uh, you're <laughs> if you're equipped to do it well. But man, if you aren't, it's a it can be a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't <laughs> right. want to do that in your passenger car. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about uh, uh, some of the ways that we can handle this stuff. I think at the risk of sounding redundant, I would pull us back to the fact that our grief responses are tied to our stories. And so if we can understand again in this time of reflection, oh, what did I learn about grieving that may have been unhealthy and unhelpful to me? then what else can I do with it now mm -hmm. that's different than that? So let's say that um, in my home growing up, um, I learned that people just push on. They just, you don't, you don't take time, you don't kind of sit with it. You just do the next job, the next task, you push on, and right. you go back to it probably never. If I can identify, oh yeah, that was my lesson growing up, and it was unhealthy, unhelpful, I'm going to at least try to do something that is different than that old lesson that looks healthier. And so maybe that's I'm going to sit quietly in the evenings um, and try to feel into the place where I'm sad. Maybe I'm going mm -hmm. to allow myself to, um, to cry, um, to, be, to be sad, to be alone, um, I, I'm going to challenge those old grief lessons that are not helpful or productive for me. Right. So I, I think that that's a huge piece. If people will just recognize that how they grieve is learned yes. and can be yes. unlearned and healthier things can be put into practice. Well, that's so good. Okay. Pay attention. Pay attention to our story and the lessons we've learned about grieving. Uh, not an easy or quick thing, but something we need to be doing. Uh, anything yes. else that you can recommend? We need to give ourselves permission to cry. Lots of us mm -hmm. learned lessons, again, that big boys don't cry or that that was immature or weak or like right. I hear those phrases over and over again in my office. And so as as silly and simplified as it sounds, that that we create the emotional space to do that. And um, I think, frankly, your workbook, Mark, is one of those places that people can, um, uh, a resource they can utilize to begin to connect with the deeper feeling of loss and hurt around that. To not discount um, our losses when compared to others, mm -hmm. I think would be another where it's like, yep, there's a huge difference between losing a parent and losing a restaurant, you know, or a favorite uh, TV show or the blazer season. But for us to mourn and lament our losses, whether big or small, guilt-free, mm -hmm. where it's like, yep, this one is real to me, and so I'm going to allow for space for that and try to do it in the here and now. Then I think that there are some good resources, Tear Soup, uh, Sacred Sorrow. Th th there are some resources like that that a person can read and spend some time with. The value of lament, biblically. Yes, right. You know, reading through the Psalms. We have a friend there now in the Psalms. 
Right, right. You know, where it's like, okay, this guy yeah. understands. He's sad about a lot of things. And this is what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, this is really this is really helpful, Byron. I, I think that it's it's likely that some of us have really missed connecting these dots between what we're experiencing in the world around us and the idea that we might be feeling grief about it and how grief is showing up in all of these different ways. You know, a lot of the ways grief shows up doesn't look like grief. And so thank you for naming it and giving us uh, some ways to think about it. I'd like to press pause one more time, uh, if you're willing, because you mentioned earlier that there might be a, a benefit, there might be a way for us to look at the circumstance that we're in to understand a little more of what's going on in our inner life and, and maybe who we're becoming. And I think that's a really important conversation to, for us to have. So I'd like to hear more about that, but we'll do that uh, in the next conversation. Is that okay? That sounds wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for your time and reminding us that it's okay to grieve. You're welcome. <laughs> when I look at how I'm feeling, I know that Byron is right, at least for me. I'm grieving a lot of things. I'm grieving the loss of quiet, introverted space because my family, as much as I love them, is always around. I'm grieving not being able to write in my favorite coffee shop. I miss the people there. I'm grieving the loss of our summer plans. I'm grieving uncertainty around the next school year for my kids. I'm also grieving bigger things like the loss of trust in some institutions in our country and in some people that I have respected who seem to have gone off the deep end. And with all of that, I know that I really haven't lost that much compared to some other people, maybe even compared to you. So how are you feeling? When you think about the last four months and our uncertain future, what are you grieving? What have you lost? It's worth naming. We live in a culture that likes to shine things up and put a positive face on everything and move through the discomfort as quickly as possible. But grief doesn't work like that. If you don't feel it, if you don't process it, it's going to hang around and it's going to mess with your heart and your emotions and it's going to clutter up your relationships. We're going to get through this, but we want to come out the other side better, don't we? More mature, more able to handle difficult things, more compassionate, more resilient, but that's only going to happen if we pay attention and decide that we're going to learn from what we're experiencing. If you'd like to know more about Byron and his work, you can find him online at www.byronkaler.com, uh, link on the screen and in the show notes. And I'll also include links in the show notes to the resources that he mentioned. May you hear God's gentle invitation to meet in the sacred space of your grief so that you can grow, become more compassionate and more resilient. Thanks for listening. You'll find the show notes for today's episode, including any of the links mentioned at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW034. Do you find this helpful? Well, would you like more material like this? Then subscribe to my email list. I email at most twice a month. During the summer, it's more like once a month. And that email usually includes a new blog post, links to a new podcast episode, and other things I found along the way, books, articles, people that I want you to meet that I think might be of benefit to your spiritual journey. It's worth your time. If you haven't done it already, would you please do all the podcast things? You know, subscribe in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube if you prefer video. Rate and review the podcast in the Apple Podcast app. That helps other people decide if this podcast is worth their time. And you taking two minutes to write that review would be a huge gift to me. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved. You are known, 
you are not alone.